You know, there's, there's a reason why, for my entire adult life, I've lived in Portland, New York, Boston, Chicago, Ann Arbor, Santa Rosa, now back to Portland again, but not in Minnesota, where I grew up. George Burns said it best, I think he said, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. I grew up in a large family. My mother, and my mother had five children in six and a half years. And because we were so close in age and my parents were like distant gods with their own problems, my home life was more like Lord of the Flies than Partridge Family, which makes Christmas so complicated for me, you know? And for so many others, I know, for so many reasons, happy families are all alike, as Tolstoy said. Every unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. Last week, the comedian Tom Papa was reflecting on the so-called triple-demic, COVID, RSV, the flu, and he said, it sounds scary, but it's very convenient, isn't it? I mean, we were so close to having to go home to see our families for Christmas. Still, you know, none of this is simple because there were times in my family, moments usually, when the magic of Christmas inspired us to actually get along. It started, I believe, with that Christmas carol verse which I took to be literal truth. He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty or nice. Christmas was the one time of year when we had clear moral guidelines, none of this liberal situational ethics mumbo-jumbo that my parents practiced, and it came with a very simple punishment-reward system. It was like B.F. Skinner designed the entire holiday. <laughs> and it actually worked, really. It was Christmas that taught us how to practice generosity toward our siblings. Grudgingly, at first, I admit, only for the most self-interested of reasons, but over the years, it actually trained us to focus beyond ourselves to something bigger. It all came to a head at the Christmas Eve Midnight Mass for us, when we, we'd all be at the very peak of our performative niceness. There we'd be in church, all of us kneeling together in an obedient row, straining to catch a glimpse of the baby Jesus squirming in a makeshift manger in front of the altar. And then the lights would dim, and our little candles would be lit, and the church would fill with the strains of silent night. And suddenly it no longer mattered that just an hour earlier, my sister had called me a poopy head or that my brother had threatened to smear peanut butter all over my favorite teddy bear and feed it to our poodle, there we were for those few moments, finally freed from our petty wants and attachments, our smoldering resentments, our vivid revenge fantasies. We discovered for a brief moment what it might be like to genuinely be at peace with one another, 
Thanks to this ingenious reward-punishment system of Christmas that finally succeeded in getting us to focus on that much bigger thing. I think that's the key to the magic of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas is that finally, in the end, we're led to experience a brief moment of true devotion. That's what devotion does for us, you know. It, it releases us from the prison of our little selves by giving us a glimpse of, of the joy that comes in the form of adoration. And what better place to start than in the presence of a newborn baby, right? Carl Sandburg said, a baby is God's opinion that the world should go on. If you're looking for an object worthy of your devotion, we could all do worse. After my son was born, I found myself holding him in my arms, and this overwhelming feeling of love came over me. I found myself looking deeply into his eyes, and I made a sacred promise to him right then that I would be the best father I could possibly be for him and that I would, without hesitation, lay down my life for his. And that's what devotion is. The word comes from the Latin. It literally means to dedicate oneself by a vow, to promise solemnly. When we say a couple is devoted to one another, we're not just saying they're tolerating one another well. No, we're acknowledging that they have discovered the gift of giving themselves to one another, a giving that extends from the deepest part of who they are to the deepest part of the other. I was delighted that Nathan, in his sermon last night, talked about the Episcopal wedding vows, and it came up for me as well, thinking about this. At Episcopal weddings, we express this at the exchange of rings, my favorite part of the service, when each person says, I give you this ring as a symbol of my vow, and with all that I am and all that I have, I honor you. That's devotion. I remember when I was a kid, I would be the one, I don't know how I ended up with the job, maybe because I wanted it, uh, I was the one who set up the nativity crush on the fireplace mantle for Advent. I would carefully take each figure out of the box and unwrap it, and I would arrange all the cows and the camels and the wise men and the shepherds and the holy family so that they'd all be facing the, do the newborn baby. And then when they were all just so, you know, all of them kneeling or standing in a reverent pose, facing the baby, some kind of deep down feeling of reverence would come over me, as if I myself were there too on that cold night so long ago. The cows lowing, the sheep murmuring, the wise men in silent wonder. Now I know that the word for that is devotion. It's finding a face of the divine worthy of full devotion. 
that impulse to devotion, that life-changing, completely serious, deeply joyful act of self-giving. That's what the baby Jesus inspires in so many of us. And that's what made it so magical last night when, once again, we sang Silent Night in the Dark. I spent a good bit of my adult life trying to recapture that feeling on Christmas Eve and not getting very far and feeling disappointed until I learned what the contemplative masters have all taught us, which is that you don't find that feeling by searching for that feeling. The memory of that feeling is not the same thing as that feeling. No, you find it by giving yourself away in love to an object worthy of your devotion, expecting nothing in return because your devotion is driven by your love. We don't find the Christmas spirit by squinting up our faces and trying to remember that time when Dad brought out the shiny new toboggan with a big red ribbon on it, although I treasure that memory. We find the Christmas spirit by giving ourselves away in love to one another, which is exactly what that fragile newborn baby lying in a manger came to teach us. The great theologian Paul Tillich taught that it's a big mistake to try to define God as some kind of remote being out there somewhere existing in the heavenly realms above us. He advised us, rather, to think about God in terms of the devotion our God inspires in us. What inspires your devotion? There, Tillich says, you will find your God. If your days are entirely devoted to making money, for example, then money is your God. And that God will reward you with the gifts that it has at its, at its disposal which will, in the end, only lead to the grave and to disappointment. It's that simple. In the end, it's not about what church you go to or what creed you claim to believe. It's about what you live for. It's about what has captured your heart, what you're devoted to. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Maybe it's the security that comes from having a job. Maybe it's status. Maybe a need to be respected or a sense of obligation or love or all of those things. Sometimes I need all of that to get me out of bed in the morning. Whatever you're devoted to is, in fact, what you worship. So, of course, we end up worshiping false gods all the time. The vast majority of us, Christians, Jews, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, atheists, we're all at one point or another chasing after false gods. We're crawling through a desert toward a mirage. But when we find our true God, the one true object worthy of our devotion, worthy of our lives, then finally we're released from the prison of ourselves. Your one true God, whoever or whatever that is, will free you from the madness that is your ego. Your one true God will help you let go of whatever woundedness you carry around, 
your one true God, no matter what face it takes, will help you love your brothers and sisters even when they call you poopy heads. This is not just a Christian thing. The true object of your devotion might not be the baby Jesus. Scripture itself offers us hundreds of names and images of the divine. Even when talking about Jesus, last night we heard, for a child has been born for us, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But whatever form your true God takes, I pray that your sacred devotion continues to grow within you on this most blessed and sacred Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. Amen.